0: The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your health care provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Building Healthier Relationships podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic, and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships.
1: And that, you know, maybe they've pushed you a step too far. They will whip out some sort of performance of empathy to kind of make you feel like, oh, maybe they do get it. And maybe they do understand how I feel. And, you know, maybe they, they do understand me. When in reality, they're just using it as a, as a way to manipulate you.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of Building Healthier Relationships podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Natalie. She's a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California. Her main specialties are helping people heal from addictions and trauma. A subset of her trauma work is assisting those who have been in cults, high-demand groups, abusive churches, and other situations involving coercive control and or narcissistic abuse. Do you know why people who gaslight tell pleasant lies? Are you wondering how you can tell if someone is genuinely taking responsibility for their actions? Do you want to know the difference between true empathy and empathy that is being used to gaslight you? Are you wondering how you can protect yourself from someone's projections? Would you like to learn how to deal with a person who won't let you speak during a conflict? If you can relate to any of these questions, then this episode is for you because Dr. Natalie will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi Natalie, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode again.
1: Absolutely, thank you very much for having me back.
0: I always enjoy it. That's nice to hear. So, the first question is, why do gaslighters tell blatant lies all of the time, my abusive father lies to everyone about the most ridiculous things, and I can't understand why.
1: Um. Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I, I don't want to pretend like I, I have the one answer to why everybody who uh, gaslights people lies about things. But I can say, generally speaking, is that I think for a lot of people, it's a control thing um they want to feel as though they are in control of what information you're getting and whether or not that information is accurate or not um i would also say that it's about control in that it's possible that you know someone like this is not able to admit when they don't have information uh so instead of saying i don't know or i'm not sure uh, because they're afraid that's going to make them come off as weak or vulnerable or something like that, that they will just make something up in order to appear like they have more information than they actually do, because you know their ego is so fragile that they can't just say I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. I know that that's something that is relatively easy for most people to to just be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's easy for most people to say you know, oh, I don't know. Um, But for folks who, you know, are maybe somewhere high on the narcissism scale, they are, they find it really difficult and and threatening to admit that they don't have all the information all
0: of the time. Mm, And isn't that when we talk about the grandiose self perception, that is exactly what you are kind of right now talking about?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's that It's that, you know, a grandiose uh, sense of self means that you can't ever admit to a fault or something that you think is a fault.
0: How can I tell if someone is genuinely taking responsibility for their actions? I have a toxic brother who is constantly gaslighting me and sometimes I can't tell if he is truly taking responsibility for the things that I call him out on or if he is just gaslighting me again.
1: Mm, Good question. Uh, And it sounds like a pretty confusing, difficult situation to be in. Um, I would say that a good way if you can tell if somebody is actually taking responsibility for their behavior is not just if they say they're taking responsibility for their behavior, but they act in ways that demonstrate that they are taking responsibility for their behavior. Because it's one thing to talk right? (laughs) Uh, it's another thing to actually do the behaviors. Um, and just to give a simple example, um, let's say that, uh, you know, somebody, um, lies about you to somebody else and you find out about it and they, you call them out on it. And they admit to it and they say, yes, you're right. I lied. I'm so sorry. I take full responsibility for that. Okay, great. But those words are meaningful. But are they actually going to also go to that other person they lied to and say, you know what? I lied and I'm trying to fix it. Uh, I take accountability for it. That was my my fault. Um, because that's the action that backs up the words, right? Um, And so I would say if he's saying the words, that's a good first step. But is he also engaging in whatever behavior is necessary to show or to be accountable for what he's done?
0: Mm -hmm. And in narcissistic relationships, what I have heard often is that we really need to also make sure that corrected behavior is kind of, it continues because what I often kind of see that, okay, there is those two steps that you just said, maybe they both fulfill, but then mm-hmm. over time or very quickly the you know, the behavior part, then they do not anymore engaged, engage with it or some, or for example, in your example, they do go to this person that they lied to you about, they apologize. They do all the you know, you know, right, right, uh, things, but then let's say a few months go by and you find out again <laughs> that the same thing is happening. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a really good point that it's not just the initial behavior. It's, is there like a sustained change in behavior?
0: Right. Mm, yeah. yeah. And sometimes do you think it's, is it their lack of empathy or what, that sometimes it actually, to me, it is like weird that how they can't kind of yeah they can correct their behavior maybe sometimes they can do that but then it seems like they can't kind of continue doing that is it just the lack of behavior uh, I mean lack of empathy or is it sense of entitlement like like what. Yeah, what is it? Or it's just that they don't care. And they just faked it in the first place. <laughs> I mean, it could be any of the above.
1: I think that any of those options are definitely possible. Um, it could also be that they're testing you to see how far they can push you, you know, like, if I keep doing this, will they keep calling me out? Or will they eventually just be like, okay, fine, I guess this is how this person operates, you know? Um, But I I think any of those are are good possible explanations for why somebody would, you know, maybe show some degree of changed behavior, but that it won't be sustained and they'll just kind of do the same thing again at a later
0: point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Then the question number three... I have an abusive wife and one of the ways that she manipulates me is by randomly being empathic. How can I tell the difference between true empathy and someone who is just using empathy to gaslight me? And maybe uh, if you could very briefly kind of explain what is empathy so Hmm. we know where to start kind of.
1: Sure. So empathy is the ability to understand and or feel what another person is feeling, okay? Um, It's sometimes people confuse empathy and sympathy. Um, Mm. They're they're related, but they're not the same thing. Um, Sympathy is your ability to feel like, um, I was gonna say ability to feel sympathetic towards something, but that's, I'm trying not to use the word in the definition for the word. Um, it's it's someone's ability to have a degree of compassion or to feel compassion for someone's circumstances, right? It's not necessarily understanding how they feel or feeling how they feel. So empathy kind of takes it a step further. Mm. And empathy is really important um, because it allows us to understand other people more deeply. Um, and it gives us a connection to other people that, you know, we see whether it's with somebody who has a high degree of narcissism or antisocial personality disorder or things of those lines that people who have very little or maybe no ability to feel empathy for other people really have no qualms about hurting others because they can't understand or can't feel that pain that they are causing in another person. Um, and so if we're talking about this, this person's question here about their wife, um, I would say that, that this is, this is unfortunately something that plenty of people with, with a lot of narcissism kind of use as a manipulation tactic that they, 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 <laughs> They kind of use empathy as, as a little bit of a weapon in terms of if they feel like they're losing you, um, and that, you know, maybe they've pushed you a step too far, they will whip out some sort of performance of empathy to kind of make you feel like, oh, maybe they do get it. And maybe they do understand how I feel. And, you know, maybe they, they do understand me. When in reality, they're just using it as a, as a, um, as a way to manipulate you. And it sounds like this person's question is, well, how do I know if, if she's doing this to just manipulate me or if this is like genuine, you know, empathy. And I would say it kind of relates back to the, the answer to the last question, which is, you know, is empathy is generally not something you can just turn on and off, you know? Um, and therefore is she able to show empathy on a continued basis like is is it a sustained behavior over time, or does she just try to show you some empathy and then go right back to hurting you somehow and just that's the pattern I would say if that's the pattern that gen that empathy is probably not super genuine
0: mm, mm, yeah, exactly and but then sometimes I'm like thinking that. Because I do know that there are people who are kind of having, it's it's a little bit, it's different thing, but I could see how someone confuses it, like having troubles with intimacy, let's say that it's kind Mm -hmm. of that they are having troubles to get really intimate with someone. But Mm -hmm. how would you differentiate like someone with actually narcissism and then someone just having kind of poor relationship skills?
1: I mean, I think that you can have poor relationship skills or a fear of intimacy and still be able to exhibit empathy. Um, You know, it might be difficult for a person like that to get close to other people or to have a a healthy relationship uh, initially, but they will have enough empathy that will kind of, you know, allow them to have the relationship with somebody like that, even though it would have its own issues would ultimately feel healthier and more authentic than a relationship with somebody who has a high degree of narcissism.
0: Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the next question. How can I stop believing the projections of my abusive mom? I can't grow as a person if I continue to gaslight myself into believing them.
1: Well, I mean, I don't... (sighs) obviously I don't know this person's situation. I don't know if this person like is an adult. Is an adult. Do your questions only come from adults or do you not know? Uh,
0: this this has come from an adult who is okay. like, a, yeah. And uh, yeah, I know that it's coming from an adult, but uh, unfortunately I don't know any other details, but yeah.
1: No, that, that's okay. That's okay. So because I don't, you know, the first, the reason that I asked that question is the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, if you really feel like, you can't heal the way that you want to heal. If you're constantly dealing with your mom's projections, then it might be time to, to go low contact or no contact with your mom for a certain amount of time. But I don't want to say that if we're talking about a, a teenager who's stuck with their parents, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're like, well, that's nice, but I can't do that. You know? Yeah. Um, so if this person is an adult, I would say that if you are able to have a degree of independence from your mom if you're not like financially dependent on her or or things of that nature and you just kind of have like a, a quote-unquote normal adult relationship where you live somewhere she lives somewhere else and you communicate or maybe see each other that if you you know and it's completely understandable that if your mom is constantly throwing her projections onto you that it would feel very upsetting confusing and like you know, like the person said that, that they kind of gaslight themselves about like, well, is this really true about me? Is this really who I am? Am I just in denial about it? If that's the case and you need, you probably need some distance from your mom in order to heal. Now I'm not going to say that you have to go low or no contact with your mom forever. Um That is ultimately, you know, this person's decision, but I would say that if you need to do that for some period of time to get to a stronger place in your healing, where you feel like maybe you are better equipped to reject those projections or not get caught up in them anymore, then do what you got to do. I mean, it's, it's okay. You know, you're not, you're not obligated to have a relationship with your mom or anyone in your family. Um, if you need time away from them to heal, then take time away from them to heal and, and come back and revisit. Do I want to get invested in this relationship again or not? Um, that, that's perfectly fine. It's not like, oh, I've got to be strong enough to, to do this, you know, in the face of all my mom's projections. It's like, you know, you don't have to be like a superhero. Like if you need some time away from that, that's understandable.
0: Yeah. Great. And can you maybe like an some very basic example, what actually it means when someone is projecting their stuff onto you? Sure. So it becomes very clear.
1: Sure, sure, sure. So let's say, so typically people with a high degree of narcissism have, you know, they, they are constantly looking to other people to meet their needs because they feel like they've got this big gaping hole inside of them that can never be filled, you know? And instead of owning that about themselves and going, wow, I really need a lot of validation from other people and like constant adoration. And what does that mean about me? Does that mean I need to work on something instead of doing that? They will, you know, take one of the people that they're close to and start getting upset with them for being so needy, right? So instead of owning it themselves, they project that onto somebody else. And if that is not true of the other person, if the other person is not a highly needy person, that can feel very disorienting because you're like, well, is this person right? Like, especially if it's your mom, right? Mm. Like, you know, it's like, does this person know something? I don't know. This doesn't feel right, but they keep saying it to me. Am I just not knowing it? Without understanding that what they're saying is much more about them than it is about the other person.
0: Natalie's example of projection is great. And without examples like this, it can be difficult to protect yourself from projections because you might not recognize when it's happening. We have an article, How do you know when a narcissist is projecting, and we have put together five signs for you so you can more easily spot it when it's happening and therefore protect yourself better from it. The link to the full and in-depth article can be found in the podcast notes, but next I'm going to mention these five signs that you can look out for when trying to figure out if someone is using projection. The first one is that their anger and reaction are disproportionate to the situation meaning that they respond more emotionally or forcibly than is justified. The second one is that they blame you unjustly, meaning that they place blame on you in a manner that is not in accordance with what is morally right and fair. The third one is that they live in a distorted reality. And in the article, we give you a detailed example of this. The fourth one is that they victimize themselves, meaning that they label themselves as victims and blame their problems on external factors. The fifth one is that they are ruining your mental health. The link to the article is in the podcast notes. And in the article, we go through each of these five signs in more detail and give you examples of them. Yeah, that that is such a hard thing to recognize, because like you said, especially when it comes from your mom, you maybe have an like idea that, well, my mom knows me very well, you know, right, <laughs> she, right. she raised yeah. me. Like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that is, yeah. Is it just, you have to know yourself so well that you are able to say, no, that's not me and not further think about it or like, how do you actually block that kind of reaction?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Oftentimes people will need some time away from this person to to kind of get away from that. So that's, you know, can be a part of the healing process. And then I think when you have that, that time away from them really, and I know this is easier said than done. This is a tough process, but, um, starting to really understand who you are, getting to know yourself and being able to trust that your perceptions of yourself are accurate or they're generally accurate, right? That you know what your strengths and your weaknesses are, what your issues are, the things that you've healed, the things that you're still working on. And you feel secure in yourself to the point that when somebody does throw a really inaccurate projection on you, that you're able to maybe sit with it for a little bit and go, yeah, no, that's that's really more about them than it is about me. So it t- it takes, it can take some time away from the person who's projecting. And it can also take, you know, uh, a fairly robust healing process of a getting to know yourself, and then be trusting yourself about yourself.
0: <laughs> mm, mm, great. And do you do you think like, let's say you have a client and well, this is very simplified example. So it's maybe gonna be hard for you to answer. But (laughs) you have a client and she is exactly in or he or she is exactly in that situation and is ready to and they are, uh, they have the, you know, the distance a little bit and they are now like, okay, I really want to get to know myself, I really want to, you know, trust my perception and my strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Is it that you like, what do you throw them some journaling exercise and then they do it? or Like, what do you like? Is it like you say that, oh, well, try, try some new things and see like and see how you perform in, on those, gather evidence of your strengths. And like, what what is it? What are all the possible options that people could actually, you know, do in practice in their lives?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, you know, if I was seeing a client in, in for therapy sessions, uh, you know, we would be spending an hour a week talking about, you know, what are you, what are your genuine thoughts about things? What are your genuine feelings about things? You know, I would uh, probably do some values work with them, helping them figure out what a what their values are, and b if they are living out their values. Um, and if not ways that they can live out their values, um, journaling could definitely be a part of that, um, journaling exercises about, boy, any number of things, you know, recording their thoughts and feelings every day, maybe doing a little bit of connection to their inner child, possibly doing some cognitive behavioral therapy, because that involves, really identifying and connecting with the thoughts and feelings that you're having on a daily basis um boy there are just uh, there are so many other answers i don't even know where else to <laughs> <with it.
0: laughs> thank you so much for that, sure. that it, like those are, are like practical things that we all you know like you said you would spend one hour talking with someone so if someone is in a is not right now in a position to go to therapy, for example, for different reasons, they could just stick to like, I'm gonna one hour a week, gonna take Mm -hmm. time for myself and, you know, think about my values. And if I'm living, living, uh, according to them, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Then the question number five, my older brother is very toxic. One of the ways that he tries to control me and my younger siblings is by re- refusing to let us speak during a conflict. How can I handle this situation? If I try to talk over him, he gets big and aggressive. If I stay quiet, I just get taken advantage of. What can I do?
1: Ooh, this is a tough one. Um, I can... Th- think of a few different things you can try. So first of all, I would say that (laughs) there are, you know, there's a a saying, uh, that goes strike when the iron is hot. Right. And that's good advice, but sometimes you also want to strike when the iron is cool. And what I mean by that is trying to address this behavior of the brother in the middle of an argument is probably not going to get anywhere, right? Given the fact that he won't let other people talk, gets aggressive, probably not the best time to try to deal with that behavior. So what I would say is one option is to try to talk to him about this when things are normal, when things are fine, right? Uh, when things are not heated or charged. And to say, I'd really like to talk about how we fight or however you want to say it. Um, I really want to talk about how we fight. I think that there can be a better way to have these conversations. Maybe we can work together to set some ground rules for the next time that we fight, right? Maybe it's, um, maybe the ground rule could be That each person gets a turn talking for five minutes and we time it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and whoever's not talking agrees to not interrupt the person who is talking um, because you know that you're going to get your time to talk. So just be quiet and listen to the other person. Right. Um, And in an ideal world, somebody would be willing to hear you out on that. Right somebody would be willing to be like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I know it's not really working for me either. Let's try to come up with some ground rules for the next time we have a really heated conversation. And then the next time it happens, you've got this, you know, format or these boundaries that you're going to try to stick to, right? Um, However, (laughs) I think we all know that you could try to have that conversation with someone. And number one, they could just tell you to, you know, go screw yourself. I don't know (laughs) Like that they don't, they don't want to talk to you about this or they could agree to it. And then the next time you have a fight, they just go back to the old way of doing it. Right. Um, So I think that if this conversation either doesn't go anywhere or they um, agree to it, but then they totally blow it off the next time you, you have a fight, that that's when you need to set a boundary around that behavior. And, you know, it's very clear that this person cannot control their brother. Their brother's going to do whatever he wants, whether it's yelling or talking over people or getting aggressive. So the only person that the person who wrote this question can control is themselves, right? Um, So perhaps the boundary is, okay, the next time we're having a fight, if you refuse to let me talk or if you start to become verbally or physically aggressive, I'm leaving. I'm going to walk out the door, get in my car or, you know, however they got there. Um, and I'm going to leave, um, because I can't communicate with someone who's not willing to fight fair, you know, um, cause it's not to say you shouldn't ever have like heated conversations, but if you do, there needs to be a level of, you know, healthy communication to it, right? Um, and so you could say, okay, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna leave, uh, and then I am gonna try to, you know, um, resolve the discussion at a later time when everybody's cooled down. Because if this guy isn't gonna listen to, uh, you know, ways to be better, better at communicating, then it's just about setting a boundary, carrying it out, and understanding that as frustrating as it is, this person might never change the way they do this. Um, And there might be a lot of unresolved stuff with this person because they just can't communicate uh, in an equitable way.
0: Mm, mm, Yeah, and that is very unfortunate because I think like, well, I can't say that, say that we all, but often we would want to have these quality and loving relationships <laughs> with our siblings, for example. So obviously, like you just described that with a person like that, there is going to, you know, stack, stack up a lot of like unresolved stuff because it actually then means that you are have to, you know, leave the yeah. situation and then if it even doesn't work that you later try to resolve it, then it's all gets buried.
1: <laughs> there. Oh, one other thing that's a possibility that I, I forgot to mention is if, if this is possible, you can also try this, which is to say to your brother, look, our com- when, when it's just the two of us, it gets nowhere, right? Um, so if we're going to continue to have a relationship, we're going to need to do some family therapy together. You know, um, and then say, you know, set that boundary of like, I'm happy to try to make this relationship work with the help of family therapy. Um, so if you're willing to do that with me, let me know and we can get that going. Um, and that could be helpful because then there would be another person there, (laughs) a trained mental health professional who would hopefully take over the role of trying to make this pattern um, much more healthy and workable for both of you. Um, And I I understand that not everybody has access to therapy for a variety of reasons, financially, geographically. So I don't know if that would apply to this particular person, but that is another potential option. Um, And that can be nice because then it feels like it's not your responsibility to try to fix the situation like you can hand it over to a professional (laughs) (laughs) which which can be really nice um if if that's an option for you
0: yeah okay great great thank you so much for that uh today we had some great questions and great answers so i want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and thank you natalie once again for coming to this uh podcast and answering all these questions
1: of course, Uh, happy to do it again. And thank you for all the awesome work you guys do.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.